Well, the new cross-ownership rules that the FCC put together have been bounced by the Supreme Court. Question is, is it too late? Streaming, another sports breakthrough with streaming audio. Uh, podcasting, a lot of smoke. Keith and I are going to look and see if there's any fire there. And we've got hot hits just for the fun of it this week. We are the week of April 5th, and this is Media Insultant. We offer our opinions every week on the media, radio, TV, print, just about anything. I'm Jackson Weaver. My co-host, Keith Samuels, is across the table from me. And Keith, good morning and welcome. Jackson, good to see you, buddy. So uh, what's the deal? FCC uh, had some cross-ownership rules that they were trying to modify. They basically were trying to throw them out so that radio, TV, newspaper could all operate under the same ownership. And a uh, appeals court threw it out, said, nope, we're not going to let you do that. Now the Supreme Court comes along and says, yeah, we disagree completely with the appeals court. In fact, on seven to nothing, seven to zero vote, they upheld the FCC's right to revise the cross-ownership rules. My question is, you know, the radio and TV business and newspapers have been trying to do this for a decade. Is, is there any hope in this? Is this just a waste of time? Uh, no, I don't think it's a waste of time. And I think there's a glint of hope, uh, if only from the standpoint that it will allow uh, local media to aggregate somewhat more than they, they've been able to, certainly with the cross ownership that always seems silly between whether you could have a television station and own a newspaper and own a cluster of radio stations. And when we talked about this a week or two ago, when we talked about how Google, Amazon and, uh, and Facebook now represent over 50% of all advertising. They, th th those three companies suck up 50% of all dollars in advertising today. Yes, the, this, your, your analogy of maybe we're handing out life preservers to people on the Titanic after they're in the water, it's a little too late. But I think in some cases, you know, we're going to see uh, uh, pockets of, of, of markets where this might really have an impact and might help some people out in being able to survive the loss of ad dollars, you know, this, you know, what a great way to be able to package up television, radio, audio, and print in a way that, and digital in a way that, you know, uh, you might be able to make it because you and I have been in these markets where there ain't a lot of making it these days. Well, it really further promotes the consolidation of local media and local markets at a time when local media has less influence. So being able to pay to pair up a TV and a radio station or a TV and print you know, there's some consolidation in terms of operations and billing and that kind of thing. But boy, at the end of the day, everybody's got declining audiences. And, you know, the truth is, if somebody combines up a, a group in a cluster in a particular market, and you're not part of that cluster, it's a lot less fun for you, too. So, yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is that, you know, even in those markets, in any market, you know, 90 percent of all digital revenue is going to Facebook, Google, and probably a little bit to Amazon on a local basis. So not only are they dominating the total advertising world, they are owning, crushing the digital side of things. So, you know, okay, we've got our digital package over here at the Allentown Morning Call. You know, it's like, uh-huh, yeah. And what are you doing? You're reselling Google and Facebook. That's you know, right. so you're a rep for these guys. So this has got to be, a, I, I hope, used in the right way to help build not only 
uh, traditional media audiences and an impact or maintain them anyway, but also to help them develop good local digital news brands, entertainment brands, whatever it might be, so that you know they can last a little bit longer. Otherwise, it's you know it, we're on the we're on the quick road to you know Google and Facebook completely owning everything digitally and Amazon just getting bigger. No, it's a real good point. And I think there's a real good opportunity for for the stations to do something like that. We've got a lot more to come on this, Keith, because the current acting FCC chair, Rosenworcel, is always opposed to this uh, kind of deregulation. So it'll be interesting now it gets thrown back to the FCC. And so we'll have to see what happens. Streaming on baseball has been a, a real point for some time. And, and by streaming on baseball, I mean streaming the baseball games. That's what I meant. I think everybody knew that. The point is, is that they are now allowing the, um, the uh, Major League Baseball is now allowing local flagship stations to stream, at least geotargeting their stream in that particular area. This strikes me as a really smart, if a bit late, move. What's your read on it? Well, I agree. It is a, it is a lot late. I mean, uh, baseball has been very, very uh, strict and and you know just really controlling all of this you know, digital aspect of their product. And so, but again, I'll take it when we can get it right. And so, you know, it came out that the, that the, they'll allow flagship stations to uh, to geofence their stream into their marketplaces. And I think it's a great add-on to, uh, you know, uh, to the presentation of the games. I mean, it's a tough marketplace for an AM station, mostly, some of them FMs, to keep building audiences for, you know, play-by-play -play baseball. It tends to be an older demo. It's not that exciting. You got to really kind of be into it. Um, but having a stream now means that they're going to be available where the audience is. And I think uh, it's an important development. It's interesting, the article that, that I read on it uh, featured two uh, – sports executives at radio companies. One was Mike D, who's the head of sports for Odyssey. He's fully transformed now, and he is now the head of sports at Odyssey. Uh, Mike comes out of Major League Baseball and other pastimes before that. And the other guy I interviewed was Don Martin. And Don Martin is the uh, head of sports for Premier, I think is his official title these days. But his day-to-day -day job is that he's the program director for KLAC here in Los Angeles. And um, uh, I, maybe he's the general manager, but he kind of runs KLAC. And KLAC, and it's not mentioned in the article at all, but KLAC and Don Martin are half-owned by the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, you know, the, uh, the, so there's no mention of like, yeah, I'm really thrilled. <laughs> and so are my bosses over at Dodger Stadium that we can now stream these games. You know, there's no mention of that. It was like, not that there's a conflict of interest, but it would be good to know that when Don is talking about what a great development this is, is that he's got one foot in each camp. He's got a foot in the, in the baseball camp because he got, he's got a report to the Guggenheim group that owns the Dodgers. And he's got, you know, uh, Kevin Legrette and Greg Ashlock and iHeart to, to answer to. And so he's pretty diplomatic in the article about how great this is. And dare I say how transforming and audacious this opportunity is for these teams. But I think it will help the, you know, the, the, uh, the stations um, continue to maintain an audience and, uh, and do a better job of reaching out to more people with play-by-play. -play. Oh, I think it offers something else, too. I think there's an, an, an although nobody's talked about it, there's an entire subscription model behind this. Because if you're a Yankees fan and you're living in Atlanta, you're not going to get a play-by-play -play on the radio or a stream because of geofencing. But for $5.95 a month, maybe you have access to all of the other teams and all the other streams. 
And that's and, what Major League Baseball owns and still has. That's why you can only geo. That's why you could geofence it. You can't. I can't listen to my beloved Giants on the KNBR stream. I'll get knocked out because I don't live up there. So yes, but that's where Major League Baseball will still derive their benefit. Is that if you want, if you're an out of town, if you're a Red Sox fan living in Tampa, and there are a lot of them, you'll be able to still subscribe. It's kind of like the Sunday Ticket from Directv and the NFL. You know, it's all those guys that live out of market that want to watch everything. And also, you know, for people who are betting on the games. So, you know, that's that's another deal. Well, yeah, the betting is turning into a real interesting thing. And just as a sidebar, I, I noticed this morning I heard from uh, a guy who's in uh, uh, the television side of things. And he said that the NFL's deal with the broadcasters, all these TV deals that we talked about a week or two ago, is a 10-year deal, but it's got a seven-year out. Mm. And at seven years, they can come back and say, we want a lot more money. We want to open it up to bidding again, because as you and I have discussed, the impact of the streaming companies like Google and Amazon and, you know, possibly Netflix, anybody else that wants to could get into it at year seven and make it an even richer deal for the NFL. So, you know, again, there we go. It's uh you know, who's, who's, to, who's to say, but it's really exciting for everybody involved, except for the poor local <laughs> radio and TV stations who continue to get kicked under the, under the bus, but it's a nice bus and is well-finished and well-appointed. So I'm sure they enjoy that. Hey, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about podcasting. You know, we, we allu- uh, have alluded to it as a variety in a variety of things last week when we uh, talked about audacity, no, not audacity. See, I'm always getting this mixed up. Odyssey, excuse me, Odyssey, we talked about the fact that they are putting so much more reliance on podcasting. So let's talk about podcasting a minute. I mean, what's the there there? There are 2 million podcasts. Why is this so such an emphasis for these broadcast groups like iHeart and Odyssey? Well, I think a couple of reasons. One is there's a low barrier of entry. I mean, look at us. Um, you know, it doesn't take much and it's, 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 you know, you don't have to license a radio station and maintain that station like you do in terrestrial radio. You can find content from everywhere and it's cheap content to aggregate. And secondly, it fits perfectly into their, into their plans for programmatic ad sales. So here you have, you know, thousands of podcasts, you know, on each of these, you know, groups, networks, whether it's iHeart or it's Cadence 13 or it's Pineapple or whatever else Odyssey owns. <clears throat> and whatever Westwood One is doing with their podcast network. And then you've got the Wondries and the NPRs and everything else. So it's an, it's, an, it's an easy aggregation for programmatic airtime. It's also great because all these hosts are so willing to do endorsement spots on a, on a CPA or a cost per click or whatever kind of, of formula. And, you know, and the, so those advertisers love it. This is a pay-to-play ad medium that's a dream for people like Ad Results and, and, and other guys that do direct response advertising because these guys have no other spots. There's no program directors. You know, you don't have to argue about, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's nirvana. It's what they wished radio was, but is it? Now, does it work? Well, who cares? You know, if we sell a pillow, great. doesn't matter. We're not getting paid if we don't. So, you know, they love that. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. But I also think, too, is that there's the, there's the hipness factor because there's a handful, maybe a dozen podcasts that are just amazing. 
and everybody wants to be in that group. Okay. Everybody wants to be the next big hit. <clears throat> Certainly if you're going to sell ads and I think NPR finally can sell ads. They're selling ads. They can get direct response advertising. They can do all this stuff, which they haven't been able to do on their terrestrial licensed by the FCC public radio station. They get underwriting. Sure. But this is big bucks. They're loving it. And the buying community that listens to that stuff on NPR loves it too. So beyond that though, it's not an easy sell. So that's where we're saying, is it a really big business? Once you get past Adam Carolla, Josh Rogan, I don't know. It gets real quiet. It gets real quiet. Yeah. NPR, I believe, I saw a figure the other day that they, now more than half of their overall revenue comes from advertising. Mm -hmm. And they probably blend that a little bit with some underwriting too. But the truth is in terms of podcasting, they have no restrictions. They can, they can sell, you know, they can sell it to Harvey's fast forward in downtown Mobile, Alabama, and they can't do that. They can't do those kinds of sales over the air. So I think uh, podcasting offers them a tremendous opportunity to, to expand and to compete with commercial radio and commercial TV. We're seeing the same thing with the PBS stations developing content that is outside of PBS licensing so they can run whatever commercials they want. Yeah, there, you know, there's one, other, there's one other thing, too, is that podcasting has become, in certain corners of, our, of the podcasting world, a development process for television. So what you're seeing is a lot of these scripted podcasts um, getting TV deals. That was the whole business model for Wondery, still is. So why Amazon bought them, I think, is that, you know, Hernan Lopez came out with, you know what, we're going to get these, we're going to get some really great content that would normally have tried to become a pilot and all the expense that goes with a pilot. And if we do a very low budget, but, but high quality audio version of it, build an audience of eight to 10 million downloads for whatever, for, you know, whatever the, uh, the show is, then we go to the networks and go, guys, we've got a built-in audience here. This could be a major hit for you guys. Look at, I've already got 8 million people listening to this thing. So uh, there's a part of podcasting, a big part of it, that is, that is developmental projects to see what could become the next television content. You know, so that's where a lot of the, uh, the action is. So Media Insultant is going to be part of Prime next year. Is that it? Oh, gosh, wouldn't it be great? It's going to be awesome. It'll be awesome. Just think we'd have a, an actual budget to produce this thing. And a real studio like the one behind you. <laughs> I do have one other th question, you know, one other thought on this. Uh, there are some broadcast groups that have basically ignored podcasting. It's interesting because there are a couple of radio groups we've talked about, but you're beginning to see TV groups getting into this too. Uh, Tegna has both a company called Virtual and Go to Sports, something like that. And, you know, they're developing podcasts too, probably for somewhat the same reason you mentioned in terms of developing video content. But if you're a radio broadcaster and you're not in the podcast space, are you losing a place at the table in five years? Not necessarily. And it depends on, you know, like guys like Saga and other companies of that size aren't doing it and they're not they're, they're promoting their own station and their own listenership. They're not promoting leave our radio station and go listen to this podcast. Um, they probably got some content on their website. But so I think that there's part of it where people are saying, look, we're going to preserve our core audience and our core business and super serve them and our advertisers. And we're not going to let podcasting become a distraction. Okay. It's not something we're set to play with. We're really ready to go. 
you know the people that the big broadcasters that, that are playing in podcasting have acquired podcast production companies. And I mean, at God amazingly overinflated values and prices, uh, you know, so, th- 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 you know, th- they're, they're going to play in a much bigger pond and they're going to try to just control all audio content that they can. And, and obviously try to get into video at some point as well. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, I think we're still going to see people, you know, go one way or the other, but um, we'll see what happens in the long run. Well, you know, just uh, to transition into our, our hot hits segment of Media Insultant, uh, along the same line, you know, Clubhouse uh, is this, uh, is, and I refer to it as uh, kind of like dropping in on a party call, and, and it's, uh, it's gotten a lot of buzz in the business lately, enough so that Spotify uh, has uh, come up with a, a competitor. Twitter has one. They call it Twitter Spaces. <laughs> And of course, the real problem is, is it erodes other media consumption. It just, it just does. There's only 24 hours in a day. So is there a local application for something like Clubhouse or radio TV stations finding, can they find any value in doing something with Clubhouse? What's your thought? Well, it's kind of like an open line uh, radio talk show, you know, it's, but uh, you know, with full engagement potentially from, from people participating in the Clubhouse. And you, you know how out of control that can get. <laughs> so, you know, hey, it's open line Friday and let's just see what what happens. Oh my gosh, you know. So, I listened uh, to one this morning same thing, you know, the they they a moderate I don't even know what the topic was. I just turned it on and it, the two hosts are yelling at each other, "Shut up, it's my turn. I'm going to have to shut you off." It it just it's even crazier than talk radio because you've got so many different people who can participate at any one time. Well, and I, and I think we're learning in broadcasting and on Clubhouse and all these other things really about how good radio is. All right. It's, you know, not everybody can be a great radio talk host. Okay. And, uh, or, you know, even share a show together. That takes a lot of, a lot of practice, a lot of talent. And by the way, a really good PD, a really good program director that can coach that talent and maybe a couple of consultants. Okay. So, Podcasting is made up of, of a lot of people who A, couldn't get a radio gig if their life depended on it and tried, or B, people who weren't that great on the radio and got fired and got shown the door and they're never going to come back. And so, so no wonder it sounds so hideous. It's because they get to play at what they always wanted to be, but never were good enough to do. And, you know, when you, and you go back and you listen to a good radio host, you know, I turn on, you know, turn on John and Ken on KFI and you go... These guys are really good. Now go listen to a podcast and you go, oh, really? Yeah. You know, they're yeah. not that great. You know, uh-huh. I don't think so. Not, not, my, not my, worth my time. Well, in talking about talent and talk shows, you know, the replacement for Rush is kind of an ongoing discussion in the business. And uh, you had made a note that uh, Alpha is now syndicating their Portland talk show to Saginaw. What's what's the deal there? I'm I, I missed this. Well, it came out really quickly that uh, they were replacing Rush in Portland uh, with uh, Markley, Van Camp, and Robbins or something. And um, um, sounds so, like a can of beans to me. Exactly. And now they're airing it in Saginaw. Okay, so Portland to Saginaw in that syndication model. Cox has already replaced Rush in Jacksonville with a personality named Mark K. And just last week, Mark K has been picked up in that same rush time slot in, in Tulsa. 
So uh, on their big monster talk station in Tulsa, they've already replaced Cox has Rush in, in, um, uh, in Atlanta with some local talent, Eric Erickson primarily, and some other guys. So, you know, they're all kind of making these moves to fill in the time slot, and they're not waiting for Premier to come up with the final answer, which is kind of interesting to watch. But uh, the companies are trying to syndicate their own talent now, and that gives them you know, more control over ad sales and, and more control over the content. Well, and syndication is so much easier to do today, technically, than it was when Rush first came on. And so it's a lot easier to syndicate your talent. You know, you can just drop them into an FTP folder and the automation system picks it up. It's, it's really amazingly slick. And speaking of Alpha, I, sadly, I hear that they have moved out of their showplace office and studios in downtown Portland, which is really sad because they were a beautiful setup. And yet I think it's, um, it, while it's economically sensible, it's, it's indicative of what's happening to major media outlets all over the country. One of the stations I worked with for years, uh, Cairo TV, big facility in downtown Seattle. And that building is probably a third empty right now. And it's because the, we don't need the space that you used to for studios. You don't need the space for the offices. The technical equipment's gotten so much smaller. You can put a TV station in a closet kind of a thing, almost. And so I just think it's kind of a sad story about the decline of local media and the impact it's had. Because you know as well as I do, the, like the CBS facility in, in Los Angeles, that was always you know, a landmark facility. And it's the same thing in, going on all over the country where, you know, you got a local radio station, local TV station, and now, you know, they're, you know, they're off in a strip mall, you know, somewhere out, on, out in the suburbs. And it's, it's kind of a sad decline. Okay, so enough, enough comment on that. You had uh, talked about uh, something that, or we had talked about something that's just really interesting, and that's Jubal, who is a local host on a radio station here owned by Hubbard Movin, 92.5 KQMV, has, uh, he got booted last year, and he's suing. So what's the deal? Well, apparently, um, you know, when Jubal left, I think he got let go in April of 2020, you know, at the peak of COVID. Uh, and apparently it was for, uh, you know, inappropriate behavior and a little laundry list of, uh, of fireable offenses. Nothing really specific, but, you know, just basically saying, you know what, uh, you're, you're out. Um, he gets hired by iHeart across town. What, last fall? I, I mean, he's out of work for like three months, three or four months. They pick him up at, at iHeart and, uh, and iHeart starts syndicating his show. Right. I mean, now he's in a whole bunch of markets now uh, through them. Like, as you said, it's really easy to uh, to syndicate your talent. Uh, and now a year later, he he's filed suit for wrongful dismissal against Hubbard. So I'm trying to go back and go, OK, so let's see. Um, Hubbard fired Henry Mulholland like in December of 19. Uh, the PD becomes the uh, pro the program. Who's the program director, or the head of programming at Hubbard in, C in Seattle? Uh, Scott Mahalik. Yeah, so Mahalik becomes the interim market manager, and then they hire you know was it Ginny's son to be the uh, uh, the market manager mid year? Wheeler, yeah, Wheeler yeah. Morris, right? Yeah, Wheeler Morris, and so Wheeler comes in um, after this is all done. So I think Mahalik actually fired Jubal. Um, 
Right. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out, what happens. But, you know, you have this impression that Hubbard is such a wonderful group. They take such wonderful care of their people. But clearly, Jubal is pissed off. He's one pissed <laughs> off hombre. Well, and they don't specify in any of the court filings I've seen, they don't specify what the social media postings are that offended everyone so much. So that'll be kind of interesting to see what, what that issue was and whether that was a violation of his contract. And it may be very quickly settled. Hubbard may just decide to sell. I, I think a lot of radio groups, a lot of, a lot of businesses all over the country by March, April, and May were panicked. Second quarter business just dropped precipitously. And the idea that, well, I can make a choice to cut my cash burn right now. I may have a conflict down the road. I may end up in court, but right now I, I don't care. You know, what's coming in yeah. ain't paying for what's going out. We'll deal with that later. And so he may have gotten caught up in that. Although it does make you wonder a little bit why there, and who knows, maybe there was some conversation about, you know, we can't pay you this. We'll pay you half, put some deferred, give you some stock, you know, get you some shallow trade. I don't know. You know, there could have been any number of things like that, that he could have, that they could have negotiated and maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But I, I always have a rule, boy, you never want to sue your former employer. <laughs> no, it just, it never just works, is. It never works out well. Exactly. You know, it never looks good on the resume to say reason for termination. I sued them, you know, that's, so listen, uh, I'd like to I'd like to close out with with my shout out for this week, please. Uh, uh, my last hot hit, and that's uh, uh, celebrating a great guy that uh, that picked up an additional market. They've been making some moves at, at Cox. Um, Rob Babin is now running Cox Radio Division. Has uh, promoted his replacement in Atlanta, Jay Lee Long, who I understand I've not met her, but I understand she's a terrific woman and 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 well deserved spot. And it's one of those rare occasions when the right person gets the right job because she's perfect for it. And that's what I'm hearing from my sources. But the other market manager job that he made a move in is that the, he put Keith Lawless over Houston. Now, Keith has been running Tampa. Oh, gosh, he's been running Tampa for, I don't know, seven or eight years. But before that, he was a little baby GSM at Hot 97 back when I was consulting and training Keith. And he's just a great guy, a great young broadcaster who's really grown into his own with Cox. And thank Goodness, they've they've taken the time to develop him, and this is a well-deserved um, you know market add to a really good guy. And I think the guys in Houston will really really like him, and he'll really do great things for him. So a shout out to the other Keith, T.O.K. Good job, buddy. Well put, Keith. Well put. Uh, well, there you have it. Another edition of Media Insultant is wrapped up. How, where did that that last 25 or 30 minutes go, man? I'm telling you. But we do this, uh, as everybody knows, we do this every week. We offer up our opinions and our ideas, which may be of absolutely no value. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely no value. But we sure have fun doing it. And I uh, hope you enjoyed it too. Uh, their new episodes drop each Tuesday morning on both YouTube and podcast platforms. And we invite you to subscribe, of course. We beg you to subscribe. Well, we don't beg. We, you know, it's we not do. that big. We beg, please. Okay, yeah. we'll beg. All right, we'll beg. Under whatever circumstance, thanks for joining us on Media Insultant. And Keith, go have a good week. Thanks, Jackson. Take care, buddy. 